0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org.: The Urban Dictionary defines hangry as, When you are so hungry you are angry, thus hangry. Nothing sounds good to eat and you hate life, the people around you possibly you could kill because you are in such a bad mood from low blood sugar the definition of, of hangry. How many of you seen the Snickers ads? You know those Snickers ads? Their tagline is, you're not you when you're hungry. They use actors, uh, Betty White, Aretha Franklin, Danny Trejo, Willem Dafoe, uh, just people who are lethargic, cranky, petulant, outright angry, and they're given a Snickers bar, and then they're back to being their normal, lovely selves. Because you're not you when you're hungry, right? Uh, When I went uh, years ago to Romania to do a pre-trip for a mission trip we were taking with a number of students, my friend Shirley um, Johnson always carried in her bag a banana with her. It was for me. (laughs) Because I get a little low blood sugar, and, and I can testify what a study from Ohio State University has shown, which is that married couples are more likely to fight when blood sugar is low. Hangry. We're in the midst of a sermon series here called Many Voices. We asked uh, uh, many different preachers the question, what do you sense the Holy Spirit? What is the Spirit saying to the church? We've had some uh, really uh, provoking and edifying and wonderful sermons, and if you've missed them, I'd encourage you to go online, check the podcast, catch up on some of these sermons. Uh, next week we have our, we're blessed to have uh, Jer Swigert who's coming. He's from Bend, Oregon. This is a replacement for Sammy Awad. Sammy, who's from Palestine, was not able to make it to the states here in July. He has to come in the fall, so Jer has stepped in. Jair is involved, among other things, with the Global Immersion Project, which cultivates everyday peacemakers through immersion in global conflict. Their vision and their calling is to activate the American church as an instrument of peace in today's world. Um, so be praying for Jere as he prepares for next week, and, and we'll look forward to hearing from him. Uh, our sister Renee Notkin from Union Church is preaching the week after that. I have this Sunday and then two more sermons in August. And as I was thinking and, and praying on that question, what is the spirit saying to the church? Um, for my part, I've been thinking about hunger and anger, and how hangry it seems that our lives are these days as Americans and in our world. Um, I don't know if you even saw on the Seattle Times this morning. Did you see this? This is the, this is the Pacific Northwest section of the Seattle Times. Angry US. It's, uh, it just, there just seems to be anger everywhere and where redemptive anger where righteous anger can be a redemptive force always has been and can be righteous anger can energize redemptive action too much of the anger that we're seeing is resulting in harm and in violence and for my part, um, I continue to return to a verse from the prophet Amos. Do you remember Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos in the Old Testament? Amos was a layperson as a prophet. He wasn't in the priest, one of the priests, like Jeremiah was. He wasn't in the priest in the uh, royal courts, like Isaiah was. Uh, Amos was a shepherd, and he was a keeper of sycamore trees. He prophesied at a time when both kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, were at the height of their prosperity and power. He prophesied at a time of rampant idolatry, which means a time when people, um, their lives kind of chased after every new promise that came along, rather than remaining fixed and dedicated to one God. He prophesied at a time of extravagant indulgence and luxurious living. He prophesied at a time of immorality in general society, of corruption in the judicial proceedings, of oppression of the poor. And the call of the prophet, Amos, can be summarized in verse 524 that you probably recognize. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. There's another verse along with that verse though that has been catching my attention as I pray and reflect coming into these three sermons. It's a verse that warns from the Lord of a coming time of deprivation and malnutrition. In Amos 811, the prophet writes, Prophesies, the time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And people will stagger sea to sea, it goes on in Amos 8.12. People will stagger sea to sea, wander north to east, searching for the word of the Lord. They will not find it. Hanger. I believe there's a deep hunger in our culture and in our church. I believe that there is a famine for the word of the Lord, and that as people, we are literally soul-starved. And we're seeing that, the result of that in our relationships. And so my goal in this sermon and in the next two sermons to follow is, is, is to address this, is to provoke our appetite to guide our seeking for this word of the Lord. Now, you may have heard a few of us talk around here about some different discipleship markers that we have. Um, a few years ago, the, the elders and pastors, staff persons who meet together on a leadership team that we call The Session, asked the question, so when people walk out of this community into the rest of the world, what should what should be typical of people who worship at UPC who follow Jesus Christ? And there are five things that we said, you know, that we prayerfully believe should be typical. We should be a people who are rooted in Scripture, rooted in the Bible. A people who are yielded to the Holy Spirit in prayer and in joyful obedience. That as we move out, we live as signs and agents of the kingdom in this world. And we do so in the context of loving community, of loving relationships. And, and and we also don't do this alone. We're intentional about mentoring. It's why we talk, for example, about things like sticky faith. It's why we 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 seek out small groups and mentoring relationships where we are being mentored by others and we're mentoring others to be and become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, my role in the upcoming season of our life together as a congregation is to help cultivate these discipleship markers. And in particular, in the next year, the the one that our team is focusing on is being rooted in the Bible. Being rooted in the Bible. And along with that, hand in hand with that, is another focus that the session the elders and staff have had for this next year, which is to increase gospel fluency. So if the Bible is the Word of God, and it is, I believe it is, we believe it is, with the Bible's the Word of God, there's, there's many of God's words in here. There are promises and calls, there are commands, there's our covenants, um, but there's a particular word at the center in the Gospel, a particular Word of God we call the Gospel. And we want to be fluent in that Gospel when we go out from here. We want to be fluent not only in the way that we talk, but the way that we live. When I lived in Paris for a while, before I got to Paris, I thought my French was passable. By the time I left Paris, I knew I'd never be fluent. There's just my friends, and even my friends who could speak that language so well, would constantly say, you know, I still don't feel fluent. There's fluency means that you're just, you're immersed in this. Everything you do, everything you say responds and reacts based in this language. And so what would it look like for us to be fluent in the gospel? This matters because we're living in a time of famine for the word of the Lord. We're living in a time of soul starvation for good news. For words that bring life and healing and reconciliation and wisdom and hope and a future. And so in this sermon, and the next two, here's my goal. Is to give us one starter sentence in gospel fluency. You know how when you're learning a language, you learn like a key, like foundational starter sentence, right? Like, je m'appelle Laurie or um donde esta la baño right there's like some key sentences that are starter sentences that you learn and then there are also um i want to give us one feature of the word of god that will help make us fluent one feature that will help us become fluent about the word of god within this gospel and in this language and so let's pray as we start this lord jesus we want to be fluent in your gospel we want to be a people who um, eat and drink deeply of your word. Jesus, you are the living word. You said that you are the bread of life. You said that you are the living water. And so we pray that you'll feed us deeply, that you'll satiate us with your word. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will participate in this and reflect your glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at 1 Thessalonians today for this. Why 1 Thessalonians? Okay. So as many of you know, I just finished a long overdue PhD, uh, thesis. And it was in 1 Thessalonians. So you can guess why you're getting 1 Thessalonians for the next three sermons, okay? Because I figure if I've done nine years in this, you're going you can, you can do three sermons, right? If I've done nine years. But here's why. My question going into this PhD was very simple. It was, how do you recognize God's Word? Uh, with all of the other words going on around us, with people talking and claiming and preaching, when do you know you've heard from the Lord? And I was especially curious about the Apostle Paul because he was planting churches among Gentiles, among a people who had not grown up in the Jewish tradition, had not grown up in the church, we might say now, and in anything from a few months to a few years, he had to equip them to recognize when a human teaching or speech was from God and when it was not. And when we talk about the word of God or the word of the Lord, this is a big umbrella for all these different ways that God can communicate. Words of promise and call and covenant and command. And I'm interested in all of those, but in 1 Thessalonians, is especially interested because the gospel is the word of God or the word of the Lord is what Paul focuses on. So let me tell you a little bit about the city of Thessalonica. It's, it's, this is especially an interesting test because Paul Sylvanus, we also call him Sil- Silas, and Timothy, were in Thessalonica for only about three months at the very most, and then they were chased out of town. They left behind this brand-new gathering of men and women who believed the claim that this crucified Palestinian Jew, Jesus from Nazareth, was the son of the living God, that God had raised Jesus from the dead, And that at Jesus' return, justice would roll down like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Violence and injustice and rebellion would end, the dead in faith would be raised, and Jesus would establish God's kingdom among the nations. This is what they confessed. And this confession put them in a terrible situation, in a situation of affliction, we're told. They were uh, mistreated by their neighbors, suffering socially and physically, for their choice, as a result of this decision to turn from idols and worship the God of the Jews, the living and true God. And worse still, they found no friendship from the local synagogue that rejected any claim of Jesus as the Christ and drove Paul out of the city. So right at the beginning of Paul's letter back to these new believers, he sets out to affirm two things for them. The first is that they are loved, beloved of God. And the second is that they are chosen. They are called. They belong. And when there are no more safe harbors, when those of your own ethnic and religious background no longer own you, and the long-established children of God want nothing to do with you, knowing that you're loved and chosen is pretty essential. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 1-4. It's on page um, 8. Sorry, I I moved my uh, 9... Here Going once, going twice. It's on page 959 in your Black Bibles. And if you just leave it open, because I'm not going to read this through in a wonder, but I'll be referring to it quite often. First 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.4. Here's what Paul affirms right off the bat. He writes to them, First 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.4. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, that God has chosen you. Now, here's the first thing I want you to remember today. This is the this is the sentence, first sentence, building block sentence in gospel fluency that we're learning today, and it goes like this. Beloved of God, God has chosen you. Can you say that with me? Beloved of God, God has chosen you. Another way to say it is you are beloved and you are chosen in Jesus. Can you say that? You are beloved and you are chosen in Jesus. This is your first sentence in the second language of the gospel. And I've been reflecting a fair amount in this past week on dislocation and loss, on this deep desire, this deep human need to know that we are loved and chosen, we're wanted, we're welcome. I've been reflecting on it largely because of places of hatred and alienation in our own country, of testimony and reflection on pain in the lives of people of color when they are treated with suspicion or disdain or violence, of anyone who is marginalized or kept out or hindered or actively oppressed, Which is just the opposite of this good news of the gospel that Paul took to the Gentiles, that you are beloved and you are chosen. Remember that the Gentiles were typically, and for good reason, the enemies of the Jews. Remember that the Greeks in particular had persecuted the Jews. Remember that everything the prophets expected, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, would be objects of wrath. And at the very beginning of Paul's good news, when he shows up among the Thessalonians with these Gentiles, his opening sentence Is listen, you are beloved and you are chosen in God. And these words that are used, beloved and chosen, the words that are used in the Greek, these are applied only elsewhere to the Jews. They are applied to God's chosen people. So here's the good news. God's chosen people is no longer one ethnic race, no longer one family origin. God has opened this up to the nations, to the ethnos, to the world. You are beloved and chosen. And in case this sentence, that you are beloved and chosen of God, for every person, seems a little bit like like soft theology to you, like a bit of a fluffy message of good news without the power to change anything, I'd like to suggest that at the center of any fundamentalist religion, whether that fundamentalist religion is Christianity or from Islam or from Judaism, at the center of any destructive fundamentalist religious teaching is the loss of this sentence. Then when Paul trained the Thessalonians to recognize a word of God, he trained them to listen for this sentence, that you are beloved, that you are chosen, that you, who my religious background used to regard as an enemy, are regarded as beloved and chosen in God. Any fundamentalist religion that denies another human being is beloved and chosen of God is not a word of God. If I am convinced in the marrow of my bones that another human being is beloved and chosen of God, I cannot slander them. I cannot abuse them. I cannot target them or exploit them or murder them. I cannot take their home or destroy their reputation or malign their character or abuse their body or ignore their existence. If you want to know how to recognize destructive fundamentalist preaching that is not, was not, and never be a word of the Lord, listen for this message. Because the gospel does not say that only I am beloved and chosen of God. The gospel says the other is beloved and chosen of God. Whether or not you know it yet, whether or not you believe it yet, whether or not you live from it yet, this is the truth. In the name of the God who was crucified and looked upon those crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is at the center of Paul's preaching in Thessalonica. He was so fluent in this that this is, this is how their entire relationship with the Thessalonians played out. Paul describes his relationships with the Thessalonians in the most intimate terms. He says, you know what? We were like a mother nursing her child with you. Such a lovely image on a baptism Sunday. That's how beloved you are to us. We gave you not only the gospel, but our very lives. See, Paul was called to Gentiles. Paul was called to people like the new believers in Thessalonica whose decision to place their faith in Jesus Christ immediately made them outsiders to their own families and culture. And Paul was an advocate and their champion. That ethnic origin or the religious customs of your family and your past are no barriers to receiving this good news. That in Jesus Christ, you are beloved and chosen. I read an article in our local paper this past Friday. I wonder if you saw it. This happened just a few blocks from here. This happened on Roosevelt, here in the U District. that The Seattle Police Department ran a massage parlor sting operation that arrested 204 men for sexual exploitation. Did you see that article? They ran it in this particular location because in this particular location, they'd previously closed down a massage parlor that was exploiting Asian, primarily Chinese women, as sex workers under the guise of a massage parlor. This is in our neighborhood. One of the female undercover cops describes the degrading way she was treated. And when doing so, she describes a newfound appreciation, quote, for how little respect is shown to all these girls from these other countries who often work 12 or 14 hour days in massage parlors, end of quote. No one in this scenario has gotten this message. What was said to this undercover police officer, what was being said through the actions of these men, was just the opposite of you are beloved and chosen and you belong. And here's the tragedy, is the men also hadn't gotten this message. Because if you know that you are beloved and you are chosen, you don't walk in. The primary messages of the kingdoms of the world exploit and destroy and so i do want to take a moment to say to any of you because i know we have people in here who have been sexually abused or sexually exploited in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ you are beloved and you are chosen and if you are still seeking healing and you feel alone in that come and talk to us we want to walk with you and i also want to say to any of the men or men or women but it's usually primarily men who are seeking to know their own belovedness or chosenness, who are, who, are, who are hungry and seeking to satisfy that hunger in any form of sex exploitation, particularly pornography, that you can be free of this. That, in fact, tomorrow night at seven o'clock, our men's purity group here at UPC meets for the final time of the summer, and you're invited. This is not your story. You are beloved and chosen. This is the good news. The central message of the ruler of this age is you are not loved and you do not belong. The central message of the ruler of this age is you'd better perform and excel because without that, at the end of the day, you're not loved. No one will want you. The central message of the ruler of this age is you may as well lose some weight and clean yourself up or you're not going to be chosen. Maybe your own people will take you in and care about you, but you don't belong here. Nobody wants you. I was watching on social media. There was a video that one of my friends posted, on, um, and it was people with darker skin talking about their experience. And one that many of them were very um, enlightening and sobering. And one especially a lovely Bangladeshi young woman who said that at three years old she was given a, a, a cream for lightening her skin. And her very words were: "The message that came to me was, I would not be chosen with dark skin. I wouldn't be loved." I was listening to Tracy Chapman last night, my nephew, who's 21. Unfortunately, he attends USC. <laughs> He's up here for the summer. He cranked some music while we were cleaning up, and he was watering our plants for us. And he put on Tracy Chapman. I didn't know anybody who's 21 listens to Tracy Chapman anymore. I love her. And you remember her song, Fast Car? Oh, I love this song. Remember, she sings. So remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast, felt like I was drunk. City lights lay out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder, and I, I had a feeling that I belonged. And I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. This is a deep human hunger that's God-given. This is a God-given hunger for the good news, for the word of the Lord. That you are beloved of God and God has chosen you. This is a famine and a hunger for the good news, the gospel, the word of the Lord. You are beloved of God and God has chosen you. And brothers and sisters, in this room we have been entrusted with this good news to live and to share. This is the good news. Now there are other sentences as well. No language only has one sentence. But today this sentence never goes away. This is good news and essential to the good news. So I wonder, how is your own gospel fluency in this area? Do your words and your actions communicate this message that we know, beloved of God, that God has chosen us and that God has chosen you? Have you received it for yourself? And have you taken the hard edge of having to turn around and give it to others as well? Because this stops being soft theology when you realize that the other is also beloved and chosen. The way that you speak to others and about others, especially when they're not around, does it communicate they are beloved and chosen of God? The way that you treat others, the way that you pray or do not pray for others. Does your life give the message in word and in deed that you, my friend, my neighbor, my coworker, are beloved and chosen? That you, my husband, my wife, my ex-husband, my ex-wife, my in-laws, are beloved and chosen of God in Jesus Christ? That the barista in training who's making me 10 minutes late for work is beloved and chosen in Jesus Christ. (laughs) That the dryer of the Prius that just cut me off and then dropped their speed by 10 miles an hour (laughs) is beloved and chosen in Jesus Christ. See, when you're fluent in something, if you honestly believe, if you are fluent in the fact that this person is beloved and chosen in Jesus Christ, the way you and I react to those provocations will say, and this person in the midst of the situation is beloved and chosen in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be fluent. How did Paul train the Thessalonians to become fluent in that? That's our second part. We know this sentence. What is it about God's word that helped make them fluent in beloved and chosenness? Back to 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at verse 5. So he starts with, We know, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, that God has chosen you. And then Paul writes, Because our message of the gospel came to you not in word alone, But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction that could also be translated with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. So he pointed out, see second half of the sentence? That, that Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy were so fluent in this that the way that they were demonstrated day in, day out, word in, word out, action in, action out that the Thessalonians were beloved and chosen in Jesus Christ. But what happened first? What's essential? What remains now that Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy have had to hit the road? First part of the sentence. The gospel is a word of God, not word alone. Not only a message, but also the Holy Spirit of God with power and with presence. See, we learn this, we live this, through an encounter with the living and true God in God's Word. This is what feeds our deep hunger. It's a constant encounter with the living and true God in God's Word. Paul witnessed their encounter with God's Spirit in the Gospel, and he says, I know this message is true. I've seen God meet you, and I've seen God call you. And all through this letter, he talks about what God has done in a direct encounter with the Thessalonians, that God has taught them to love one another, that God has helped them to receive his word, that God has given them joy in the midst of suffering, that God is able to establish them securely in the day of Christ Jesus. It's God's spirit and God's word that teaches gospel fluency. So to be rooted in God's word means to come back to God's word over and over again, not for word alone. The message is important. Knowledge of the message of the scriptures is important. But we never come for word alone. But also, it's the word with God's spirit and power, the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. To be rooted in the word of God is to be people who go to God's word, who go to the Bible, looking for an encounter with the living word Jesus Christ who is there. Because God's word has always involved a relationship. God's word has always involved an encounter. God walked with Adam in the garden. God talked with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. God appeared in in visions and in in dreams to God's prophets. God has come eventually, ultimately, the living word in Jesus Christ, who is the bread that we eat and and the living water that we drink. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, And God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, encounters us in the Scripture. So people who are rooted in Scripture as the Word of God are not simply, you are, but not only, memorizing Bible verses and learning the Bible. I would call you to that. That's that's incredibly rich, but it's not enough. We're coming humble and open to God's Holy Spirit, meeting us to encounter us in this Word, to feed us richly and to feed us deeply. Allowing God's Holy Spirit to establish us in love and rooted and grounded in love. See, rooted in God's word does not only mean knowing what God's word says. It means knowing the God who says these words. What would that look like? How do we get there? Let me just close with this. I think if Joel were to show up today and look around after the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived and breathed and ate God's word incarnate among us, he'd look around and he'd go, there's no famine of God's word here. There's a hunger strike. And I see it in our church, not just our church, in the American church. I see it. Because we we, we sometimes, you know, when people mention to you, well, maybe you should go read the Bible. Is there something inside that goes, yeah, but I want more than that? There's something that believes that there's something... There are other words that are more relevant. There are other words that are more pointed. There are other words that have greater authority and that have, have, have greater precision for the problems that we face. And I agree that there are words that have authority and precision for the problems that we face, but we're starving. And if we don't go back to being fed day in and day out by the scriptures of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we just stay hangry. I even think about my own small group that I'm in. We've gotten into this terrible pattern of getting together and having dinner and catching up with each other. Nothing terrible about that. But we haven't opened the Bible in months. What about you? When, how many times this week did you, did you open the Bible and just sit with God with your scriptures? How many times in the midst of your relationships, in the midst of your small groups? I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to go daily. You know, Tim Snow introduced me to this little app, and it's this app called Pray Daily, and the PCUSA office puts it out. It's the Book of Common Prayer, but it has all these scriptures, and it's just every day reading these scriptures and 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 praying. It's just kind of set up for you, and I recently went to the UK. I'll close with the story. I recently went to the UK with my, with my parents and my husband to celebrate my graduation, and, and you know, you travel with family it was an amazing gift to have my parents there for this it seriously was Um, they have been wonderful and also you're traveling with your parents (laughs) and and my poor mom I mean I just I get so impatient so quickly right and um and and so we're going along and we're doing really well but you know sometimes it gets that way and uh so for some reason I don't know why we opened up I opened up this app the one morning and said, why don't we, let's read this and pray through this together, right? And and my parents are great. They jumped right in. In fact, my dad sent me an email when we got home and said, what's that app? I want to put that on my phone. But there was something about the day. It's not like the scripture readings we had for the day gave you know advice from my mom for how to deal with a really impatient, slightly middle-aged daughter. <laughs> but what they did is they fed us. They fed us. We weren't so hangry that day. I notice it over and over and over again. We have some some tricky issues. As a people in America, we have tricky issues as a congregation together to handle. We can't handle them hungry. We can't handle them without being fed richly and deeply by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Word and through the Spirit. This is a long-term, deep work invitation. And God has made it to us. To learn that we are beloved and chosen by God in Jesus Christ. And then to learn that what takes that simple sentence into full fluency is to meet daily and together in the scriptures with the God who loves us and the God who has chosen us in Jesus Christ. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.